I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello. Oh, are you somewhere different? Um, Same room, but just painted. Hello. A bit more, uh, oh, bit more nice. atmosphere. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. So who, who are we, uh, who's our guest today? This is quite a special one, isn't it? It is very really, exciting. I'm really excited, sort of childishly so. But um, yeah, we've got, is this our biggest guest so far? I don't I know, was really. I thinking that. Yeah, Probably. it's sort of quite rude to our other guests who have all been yeah. um, brilliant and stuff. Yeah, very but, yeah. rude, Matt. Um, but yeah, um, we'll, we'll say this to every guest that they're our biggest guest, <laughs> yeah. but, it's, but we're joined by Jack Whitehall today, which, um, which I think should be a fantastic one. Hopefully, uh, mm. he's, he's great in all the things, you know, whether it's, I mean, I remember fresh meat and bad education. Yeah. I imagine you've watched both of those. Have you? Yeah. Fresh meat was amazing. Massive fan of fresh meat. I got invited down on set to watch them film it. Um, back in 20, whenever it was 2013, 2012, mm. can't remember. So I met all the cast, met Jack. That's when I met Greg McHugh the first time. Ah, right. He's obviously been a guest on our pod. <laughs> um, just the nicest people. Um, so I've been in touch with Jack so on and off over the years. Mm-hmm. And his career has just taken off, hasn't it? He's, Unbelievable. I mean, he sort of plays it down, but he works incredibly hard. He yeah, puts well. a huge amount of effort into it. And um, he's cracking America already. He's been in films with The Rock. He's... That's you know, isn't it? written. You know, he's written a mate. He's written films and TV shows. He's yeah, gone from strength to strength. I've seen but he seems play. he seems really down to earth with it all. I mean, I don't know him. Like you know, I've not crossed paths yeah. with him, but he just seems pretty normal guy at the same time. He does, yeah. and he, I think he's quite modest as well. And he sort of tries to take the mick out himself. I think a lot of good comedians do. They're mm-hmm. very self-effacing on, on stage, and um, but very talented, very hardworking. Clearly very driven um but yes yeah, in good fun actually doing a bit of research excuse for a bit of um, it's funny isn't it you can watch back, back you can watch back some of the episodes i watched an episode again of bad education yesterday he's so funny in it he's just funny. such a shambolic character you know and in, con- in contrast to jp in fresh Meat, yeah. you know both brilliant brilliant characters beautifully observed character JP. Yeah. oh he's made he's, he, he could only you couldn't imagine anybody else playing that character no. either um, he is the perfect person to do that job justice. But yeah, yeah, I loved. I really love fresh meat. It felt almost like a. I know Joe Thomas was in um, in betweeners as well, but it felt yeah. almost like a, a kind of spiritual. Mm. It's connected to in betweeners. Um, you know, a stage on mm. kids at high school into you know a university or an observation of life at university. And I used to stay in a house just around the corner from where they filmed Fresh Meat in Manchester. Oh, how, that was how my, weird. Yeah, so it's you see all the you know it's sort of in between Fallfield and, and Rushall, and yeah, so a lot of places you recognise and a lot a lot of characters as well. I think that's the way that they did it so well. It's the, you know somebody who's just like mm-hmm. Vod or you know. Uh, oh wait, okay, we are. I'll, I'll just turn my phone off, but he's here. All set. Excellent. Let's let's go. Hey. Hey, mate. Hey, guys. How are you? Sorry for the. How are you? Great to see you. Nice to see you, man. Where are you just now? 
Um, just uh, just at home. Oh, you're yeah. not in Hollywood or? No, no, no. no. <laughs> Sorry, I fly to the Seattle. rocks next door. De Niro yeah. just saying. Yeah. <laughs> no, just uh, downstairs with a sleeping baby upstairs. Oh God, yeah, life's yeah. changed. I know exactly. How, how's it all going? Yeah, yeah, it's good. Hence the sort of display of crap. Beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Have you met Matt before, Matt Magendi? Or sorry, not Magendi. Hey, this is the story behind is it's Matt Magendi. Yeah, Chris has said my name wrong for twenty years or something. But yeah, only just recently. About realized. two weeks ago, he, he, we were recording an intro, and I, hi, I'm Chris Hoy, and, and I'm Matt Magendi, and I was like, I sort of stopped and laughed. I said, right, do it properly. He said. No, that that is actually how you pronounce my name. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my god!" But yeah, how is parenthood? Are you enjoying it? Are you? Yeah, yeah, it's great. Is, yeah. it, is it been a bit of a blur, or? Yeah, the first there was the first month was good, and then the second and third month, <laughs> the fourth month were pretty tough. And yeah. now I think we're we've settled into a bit of a routine, so it feels a touch wood a little bit easier right now. But I'm sure things can change very quickly. Is she sleeping much? Is it? Is it been? Yeah, up? yeah, she's sleeping. Yeah, yeah that's the good. that's the key, isn't yeah, it? Good baby. So, yeah, our first yeah. Callum, he didn't sleep properly. He didn't sleep through until he was two and a half. Really? Um, I can't remember when you guys came round here. Where was Callum born? I think Callum had just been born. I think, yeah. and he, it was just like this constant. You basically, you get him to bed, and it was just like every little crackle on the monitor. You think, oh god, is this going to be it? You could be up for an hour, two hours. You could yeah, sleep for yeah. twenty minutes, then be up again for another hour. You might get four hours, three or three or four hours sleep in a night, broken into sort of twenty minute segments in the morning. You're just absolutely broken. Um, yeah, and you yeah. start thinking, "Oh my god, is this ever going to end?" In terms of, is he ever going to sleep through? But finally, he did, and um, he's pretty good now, actually. But yeah, we had we thought we were entering into a period of like sleep regression where she was up every hour, but oh. feels like that was just a little little blip. But it all, oh, yeah, it's all. It all depends on <laughs> how good of a night's sleep you get, how much you're enjoying parenting at any one. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So, do you imagine as a as a parent, as a dad, do you think you're going to be the kind of dad? So, obviously, it's a sporting theme mm. podcast. Do you, are you going to be the kind of dad that's on the side of the, the touchlines, getting super excited and you know, getting you know, you know, the kind of parents that you see who maybe yeah. get a little bit too enthusiastic shall we say are you going to be like that or are you going to be a laid-back one let them follow their passion find what they want to do and not push too hard no i think i probably will get quite involved i mean i feel slightly annoyed that my parents didn't push me a bit harder when i was younger i would have liked them to be out there training me cracking the whip every day and then i would have been better at sport at school but they took quite a laid-back approach particularly my dad who had no interest in sport whatsoever so he just completely checked out on that front so it was kind of down to my mum who was very sporty but she was more into like you know hockey and athletics and things like that she she wasn't a great football coach um which was the sport that i really liked when i was little um so yeah i think i would try and um make sure that i was a little bit more active and involved with um, you know, the coaching side of things and making sure that my my kids end up being uh I'm talking about multiple kids. I <laughs> have one and that is enough. Uh, <laughs> uh if my girlfriend heard me say that she would if she walk in here and slam the laptop shut. Um, Nobody listens to this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Literally just the three of us. So yeah. it's like a private so, chat. Yeah, I think I, I think I would I, I would quite like to be a bit of a tiger parent and push my daughter into sport and try and see if I can, you know, 
coach some skill into her. I really liked the video with your mum where you're talking about your, I don't know, five top sporting moments or whatever it was. Do you remember yeah. doing that? Yeah, I just think that's, that's very funny. Um, yeah. Some, bri- some brilliant old uh, footage from the family, family video camera as well. Yeah, they documented a lot of it, which yeah. is, you know, I was terrible, but there was they were there to make sure that there was evidence of all of these sporting misfortunes to to play back to me when I got older as well, just to re- remind me of all of them, which was helpful. Uh, you, you say you say you were terrible, Jack. I, I I would disagree. You know, like you were t- sort of your mum. Shout out to Hillary. Um, Hills, yeah, she's a top lady. But Sarah, Sarah says hello. She was she was saying that she's she's in semi regular contact with your mum. She sort of messages her every now and again. They keep in contact. Yeah, my mum um, is a nuisance. She's, she's, oh, she's, <laughs> give her your number. Top. You'll never hear the end of it. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, she was taking the mick out of you, and you know, your hurdling was this or that. The video of your hurdling, you won the race, and you looked pretty handy. And then the the rugby kicking, you know, you were the kicker taking a conversion. You gave it a right old thump, and it was just—it was only a couple of yards short, but it was—it wasn't like a, a sitter yeah. under the post. It was a proper, you know, proper effort. The hard thing been like there would—it would have been a race with all of the kids that weren't able to race in the actual race. <laughs> like, <laughs> maybe you know, if a few like lame kids and like the dregs basically would be thrown into that race, and then it would be me. There's there's no way I would have won a, a hurdling race if it was actually getting proper competitors. So a win is a win, win Jack. Happy. A win's a win. Yeah, a win's a win, but there's, there's definitely an asterisk there somewhere. <laughs> um, and uh, I, uh, yeah, the kicking, I, I was quite good at conversions, that's true. And it was weird. I took my boot off and used it as a, as a tee and kicked it with a bare foot and I could absolutely welly it. But I was in like the sixth team. And I and I played in glasses, which showed my, you know, um, <laughs> how much I didn't want to go into contact. <laughs> I would stand on the wing and hope that the ball never got to me. And I played for the sick 15. And famously at my school as well, in, in this happened on multiple occasions. I was in the bottom team and I was often the sub on the bottom team. And then on a couple of occasions, I would play for another school because they would turn up to play our school and they wouldn't have enough players to fill out their 6th 15 or their 6th 11. And the school would give me them, uh, give them, give me to them. So I would be like handed over to Wellington or Harrow or whoever it was that had come to play Marlborough College. And I would end up playing for their team. And I actually in cricket high scored for Wellington. I got my best <laughs> ever score, like 25. <laughs> runs but it was unfortunately for another school against all of my friends and that was my best sporting moment and it came for a school that i wasn't even at were you part of a win a part of a win against your team though yeah yeah yeah. and everyone hated me after (laughs) that's when you turn on your best your best um game though isn't it when you right right if you don't want to pick me fine yeah i'll show you what you're missing here yeah I, i did a bit of rowing at school and we were we raced against um this rival school in an eight, and we only had a four, but we had actually had six guys. Um, we had a, a, a one four. There weren't many guys that did run, and we needed two to make up the eight. So there were these two young lads who were a year or so younger than than it was like under eighteen. They were like fifteen, sixteen, and f- from the other school, and they came and rode with us in the eight. And one of them had a bigger, older brother in the rival school eight. Long story short, we beat them, 
Yeah. And they were abs- absolutely raging at these two <laughs> traitors that had come across to the rival school and beaten them at the Scottish Championships. But I tell you, I tell you the, the motivation, the drive from these two young kids was insane. Just to write, fine, I'm going to prove, you know, they want to earn their way onto the first day. And yeah. that, was, that was their chance to show them who you know, I, I wish out. mine was that. I wish mine was because <laughs> I like, finally found some competitive spirit, but I think it was just a fluke. And also, the the sixth eleven cricket team from Marlborough were just so terrible. You were <laughs> the superstar, you, though. If you hit and hope, then at some point you're going to score twenty five runs because the bowling <laughs> was so bad. But I was definitely given to them as like a sort of incel, like you hand them hand them Jack and he will handicap their team. But it backfired on that occasion. I think when I played <laughs> rugby for um, Radley, they they beat us, you know, sixty nil, and it worked. The plan pulled off, but yeah, I've. <laughs> Wasn't I, I like in cricket that you talked to set yourself as a talked up yourself as a spin bowler who couldn't actually spin the ball, which is a yeah. un, unusual sort <laughs> of spin. You'd think it was going to turn and it just went straight. So could you catch people out that were unaware, thinking the ball was going to be turning in some? You'd think so, yeah. but unfortunately they were never on the wicket, so they would yeah. go wide because uh, I could pitch it quite well. You know, again, I could pitch it well for a spin ball that would then cut back in onto the wickets, but it would just go straight. <laughs> it would just uh, continue uh, moving on completely the wrong plane and end up in the hands of one of the slips. <laughs> uh, and they and I just remember them being pitched very high. Uh, and they'd come down with snow on them, uh, the balls that I was uh, <laughs> tossing down. In fact, I had a really inappropriate teacher um, called, um, not Richard Bryars, that's the actor, Nigel Bryars, who was like, he was this really tough bloke, and he was the head of cricket at Marlborough. And he, was, he always used to tell us he was like the best player never to get an England cap, which clearly was something that had like, you know, eaten away at him and turned him into quite an angry man. And uh, he'd come to this public school to like take it out on all of the kids. Uh, and I think he once referred to my bowling style. He used to call them angel rapers. Which <laughs> was a correct term. But they would be up in the air so long, obviously. Well, uh, it's, a certain, it's a certain type of person that, that becomes a PE teacher, but not so much now, back in the day. It, it seems like a lot of them have been weeded out and it's you don't maybe, maybe they do but it seems as though there's not as many of those kind of people in that industry now but we yeah when to. i was at school there was some very Psych- brutal yeah who just took <laughs> genuine pleasure yeah. from watching kids um you know whether just basically inflicting pain on them mm. or just torturing them it was horrendous yeah i had another cricket coach as well i just remember we always used to pull my hair because my head was like, I didn't have my head in the right place. And you pull your hair and like, get, keep your head up. And I was like, okay, you could just tell me that. Um, <laughs> maybe that's why I was building such terrible um, spin. Because I was just so worried about having my head yanked back by my <laughs> psychopathic uh, cricket coach. But yeah, there was a, there was a few psychos. <laughs> mm, we had a guy who, at the start of the lesson, he'd be explaining what was happening. And if you, you might be listening, but you just if you didn't have your eyes on him. He'd have a basketball in his hand and he would just full full force throw the ball at your head. So he wouldn't even say your name, just throw it at your head. And if you weren't looking, you get this basketball smacking you in the head. Was that dodgeball? Were you playing dodgeball, Chris? No. (laughs) 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 You were playing the game. Never really got the rules. It was all his fault. Yeah, it was, you know, you imagine a little, you know, 10 year old child getting a full force basketball. Yeah, and not just once you get two or three times, but then to be fair, you learn. 
You well, and also, to thank him in the end, because had he not done that, you may have been a great basketball player. Yeah, and gone exactly. into basketball, and instead you wound up doing cycling, and you did okay at that. Yeah, true. But you never know. I could have, you know, could have been in the NBA just about too short. <laughs> I, I do actually always think that. Like, I had an art teacher that I didn't like at school, and I did art all the time. And I was, I painted and I did portraits, and I was like, I was just so into art when I went to school. And he completely put me off it. By the time I left school, and I and I didn't get on with him at all, and I was like, "I'm well, fuck that, I'm not doing art anymore." And then I ended up going, "Oh, I quite like drama, and I quite like performing." And then I ended up having the career that I had. And I feel like, had he not been a dick, I probably would have ended up being an artist. So I actually have him to thank more than any teacher that ever like inspired me was the one that put me off the thing that I probably <laughs> would have ended up doing had he not. I went the other. I went the other way. I had an English teacher, Mr. Sprott, at my junior school, who used to tell me I was the crappiest writer he'd ever known, and I would never amount to anything in writing. So, I became a sports journalist. And he was right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, actually, he might. He might be. He, he, might, have, he, he might have a point. Um, I've so seen some of his comments actually underneath your article. Can <laughs> <laughs> be very cruel. Remember, remember me. You're, yeah. still, you're still shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Well, you know, you're you're art. I remember we we did League of Gentlemen, League of Their Own, and um, who was it that posed nude? And I thought they weren't actually going to pose nude, but they did pose nude. Um, Neil Ruddick, Razor, Razor Ruddick. Yeah, and yeah. So he came on and in a dressing gown, and we, the the panels we had to try and basically yeah. paint him naked, yeah. like a, a still life um, drawing or painting. Yeah. And I assumed he would, you know, have a little. Pair of underpants on, but no, no, no. He was completely bullet naked, yeah. and and we all painted him, and it was all. I mean, mine looked like I had sort of pink paint and a paintbrush, like Mister Blobby. Mm. Everybody's painting was terrible. It was like just awful, like a child of four had done it. And Jack's was absolutely incredible. Like it was really, you only had about two minutes to do it, and it was. Yeah. It was I really, laugh. I'm was, very good at really drawing testicles. That's my problem. <laughs> <laughs> There's very little call for it, but I, I was, you know, really could you know, get a great likeness with a testicle, not with a human face, with a <laughs> testicle. And no, there's, it's a niche there's, market, but yeah. It is, yeah. When you, I try to like, you know, tout for business of doing <laughs> testicle portraiture, but no, I'm really not interested in Um I remember that episode. That was funny as well. That I feel like that was a moment where <laughs> maybe that show jumped the shark. When I signed up to League of Their Own, it was very much a sports panel show. And it was like all sporting challenges. And within like three years, I was drawing Razor Ruddock naked. <laughs> yeah, that was my first experience of it. It was so, you know, all those challenges and all those um, road trips you went on, all the, the, the sporting side of things. What what were the, the best experiences in that time on that show? Um, I loved doing the kicking challenge at um, the... NFL game. We went to an Oakland Raiders game when they were there, and we did a halftime kicking challenge. And again, it was one of those ones where everyone was expecting me to lose, but they didn't know that I had this secret talent for, uh, you know, field goals and conversions. So uh, I actually ended up beating Jamie, which he was furious about. It's very competitive, and obviously, he felt like there was enough of a sort of connection to football that this should have been one that was in the bag for him and then I went on and I got all of my conversions and like absolutely nailed one from like quite far out and it was like a packed stadium and it felt like a really that was a really cool challenge to do I loved that one did you uh, take your shoes off like the old days yeah I think, yeah, I did. yeah oh that's yeah. amazing it's all uh, about oh, uh, <laughs> field goal kicking yeah 
so good. And then I did um, what was the the other one we did? Well, actually, that was not good. The other NFL one was when we did cheerleading at the LA Rams, and that was that was remember that one? Yeah. Oh, so because like it was it was the first game back in LA, so it was a lot of hype and a lot of people there and. No one had told the players that we were doing it. So we came out in like dresses and started doing the dance and they were all looking over at us like, who the hell are these weirdos? Um, and then before we went out as well, James had like heard that the Red Hot Chili Peppers were performing off after us. So we went into their dressing room because one of them had been on the show and they were like, oh, what are you doing here? And James is like, we're doing this challenge for this sports show that I do where we're going to do this dance up. Oh. <laughs> At the uh, at the halftime before you guys perform, and uh, oh wow! And then James went. He, he, I don't know how he ended up. He basically went. Jack, show them what the dance is like, and I did it. And it felt there must have been some kind of protest, and I didn't know how he managed to convince me because it was not something that I would have readily done unless I'd had like a gun to my head. But I was in their dressing room, like doing all of these dances, <laughs> just me on my own. I'm really and again, they looked at me like I was like, just pathetic. And it was, it was a very humiliating experience of meeting some people that I really admired and then having to do like a dance. In the dressing room. And you kind of half expect to wake up and be, oh, it's just a dream. You know, yeah, yeah. it's just doing a dance yeah. around the... Red Hot Chili Peppers. Dance on your own with no music in front of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Well, and they're just, like, sat, they're just sat in front of you. They were just stood like looking at me silently, <laughs> not finding it particularly funny. No idea who I was or why I was in their dressing room. And then well, I did the whole dance and Freddie and Jamie didn't join in and didn't help me out. I, <laughs> I imagine it to be like that. I did it. Alan Partridge dance, you know. It was. It was that. It was all. Tony Hears, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> I did had a, a flavor of that it was not yeah that was not a great moment but but yeah the, the other nfl one was fun the darts i loved doing that when we went to do the darts um in blackpool again because freddie was like oh i'm great at darts and i'm gonna win this and yeah i've got a chance and then and i was terrible in all of the practices and then we got out in front of this you know crowd of a couple of thousand people and it was uh you know in the middle of a big darts competition up there and i chucked my first dart like limpest like toss you've ever seen and it landed on like triple 20 <laughs> i ended up winning uh which was great did you have a darts nickname i can't remember i don't think i saw that episode oh i can't remember but i've got a picture of me and phil the power taylor uh, giving me my trophy and freddie looking very very upset <laughs> they were genuinely so competitive in a lot of the challenges and and uh i was obviously not I was just there to like lark around so whenever i did accidentally win one they were so annoyed um and i just i couldn't really give a toss so i don't have that <laughs> competitive it's always the way to be though isn't it you know underplay at the start and if you don't succeed then you go well pff, yeah what were you expecting but when you come out and yeah yeah surprise them all and they exactly. clearly made a big big thing about it yeah but um but you, you've been on top gear as well you've done the star in a reasonably priced car haven't you You've done the lap yeah i did that that was, years ago. That's, yeah, that? that's the crazy thing as well is that I've done a lot of the, the, the these driving challenges. I don't have a license. I've had like two lessons in my life, um, and I'm terrible behind the wheel of a car. But through League of Their Own, I've driven a monster truck. I've driven a NASCAR. I've driven an F1 car, um, and then yeah, I did the Star in a Reasonably Priced Car on Top Gear. Did like the slowest lap they've ever had, and the first time I did it, like. I was like, oh, I'm actually like surprisingly in quite good control of this car going around some of these like 
hairpin bends and and then i got to the end and opened the door and absolutely stank and i realized i'd done the whole circuit with the handbrake on um oh no yeah (laughs) uh which is quite an achievement the stig hated me as well he thought i was such a dick because i think again he thought oh he's just larking around and playing up for the cameras i don't drive and i can't i don't know how to drive so i'm asking these questions genuinely and he wasn't it helping me and i was terrible but and he was getting really annoyed at me and i was like i don't have a driver's license so you need to go easy on me and i need some lessons uh but he was yeah i wouldn't hire him as a driving (laughs) (laughs) it's funny you mentioned the handbrake because i i do a bit of racing for fun now since i've been a cycle and i do motorsport and um racing cars obviously very different to road cars and you don't have handbrakes and and all that sort of certain things that road cars have that racing cars don't anyway i did a 24-hour race at Portimao in Portugal and it was in a Honda Civic basically a road car they converted into a track car put a little cage in different brakes but essentially just a, a standard road car anyway I was doing the first stint of this 24 hour race and you do like a lap and then you stop in the grid and you know there's all the parade and then the race starts and I did the out lap before coming onto the grid parked up and there was this terrible smell same thing and I, obviously, somebody put the handbrake on, and you never have a handbrake in a race car. So I didn't. Yeah. It's not like you kind of go right. Okay, where's the handbrake? Let it off. And I'd driven round with the handbrake on, and <laughs> I had, like my three other teammates, who to this day will not let it go. They'll, they'll still mention it every time I see them. You know, got the handbrake on the car there, Chris. Yes, <laughs> thanks very much. You know, it was just. It was just. That makes awful. me feel much better about myself. Oh, it's it's easily done, particularly if it's someone else's car. You. you come into the car. And yeah. you know, I don't. I never. I never use a. Or I usually use the, if it's a manual car, like a road car. I'll put it in gear in mm. case the handbrake fails on the hill and it rolls away. I always put it in gear, and if the brakes are hot and you put the handbrake on, it can stick on it. But yeah, anyway, long story short, I totally. Yeah, I, I feel your pain because it's easily done. You tell that to the Stig. <laughs> Back off. Did you Did you speak to him face to face, or did he have his helmet on? No, when no, you were he chatting? had his helmet on the whole time. Did he? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's. Mm-hmm. It's, it's funny because you assume you won't do that. You think actually, because I, I did it as well. Did the lap a few years ago, and I know who he is, and I've met him. Although he won't ever admit to it, I've met him in race scenarios. But really? he was there with, with the helmet on. <laughs> and then you see him later on, as if like we haven't. Oh, nice to see you. As if we haven't yeah. chatted. You play along with this whole thing. Like, what are you doing here? Nice to see you. Oh yeah, what you? Oh, good, good stuff. <laughs> I uh, interviewed the Stig and he'd written a book, at, well, one of the Stigs, and he'd come out and it was this former F3 driver. And so he named, I think Top Gear were a bit annoyed that he did it. But he was a lo- lovely guy. I did this interview where I live in Bristol. And then he had the suggestion to go to this place called Turbo Island, which is this, which is a weird suggestion, but it just looked good because it has Turbo Island graffiti. So he stood there with his helmet on and then with his helmet off. And so yeah. you, you could see the grand reveal. But this place is where um, a lot of the, there's a bit of a, homelessness drug drug issue there and they normally just sort of burning things around a fire so suddenly all of these people t- turned up and he suddenly had this bizarre mismatch it was one of the more surreal interviews and experiences <laughs> of my life but there's about half a dozen or a dozen people suddenly out of nowhere and they're all taking photos with this stig <laughs> on the grand reveal but anyway he was a he was a nice guy i don't know if that was the one you guys you guys is that, was that ben collins ben collins yeah yeah it was the one after that but i know ben as well yeah, yeah. he's a lovely guy. he's a nice dude yeah yeah I don't know which one I had, but we did not stay in touch. <laughs> <laughs> not characterise him as necessarily nice guy to live and work with. But, but the um, so have you got a driving license since then? Have you actually? No, I still don't have a driving license. I mean, I guess if you're living in London, it's not something you'll need. And if well, you're, I've you're, said that a lot. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? I've had a lot of excuses over the years. Yeah. Now you're a dad, mind. you might need to get a license. Yeah. I, I, I was really holding out hope for driverless cars to have been more <laughs> mainstream by now. But I used one actually in LA when I was out there. They were trialing them. Pretty terrible. Really? Yeah. How was it? Uh, yeah, it was quite unnerving, but it, it wasn't going particularly fast and it wasn't in a very like, you know, like heavily populated area. So, and I ended this short journey in it, but I was like, yes, this is, this is what I've been waiting for. Let's roll these out as quickly as possible. And then I don't need to bother to learn to drive. But yeah, it's been definitely since I've had a kid as well. I'm just like, oh God, why haven't I learned to drive? It would be so useful if I could and give me a little bit more freedom. But um, yeah, maybe I'll get around to it at some point. What was the monster truck? Like, I drove a monster truck out in Sweden years ago for a TV show and it was, I thought they were going to be big, spongy, soft things that you, mm. like a magic carpet, right? It was absolutely brutal. I did a little jump in it. Like it was, it felt like I jumped, you know, two stories high. It was about six feet off the ground in reality, but it, it was so harsh at the landing. You got to see, you get such a massive jolt. It was incredible. It was not what I expected at all. Yeah. I never got to the landing element of it because I got into the monster truck and started like tearing around this track and we were in like butt fuck nowhere in America and the crowd were going wild and I got way too overexcited and there was this massive jump, which in the day they told us, do not attempt this jump because you haven't been trained to, to pull it off. And I was oh, like, I'll, I'll give it a go. And so I start like revving it up and then I go up the like ramp and there's like five cars laid out for us to jump over. And as I like gun it up the ramp i did not realize that they had a remote kill switch so someone was watching and killed the engine and then i just stopped at the top of the ramp and i'm like like <laughs> down on the accelerator and nothing's happening and then it just slowly rolls back down the ramp and the whole crowd around uh it was save uh, yourselves yeah God, that's yeah they obviously had zero confidence in you then zero confidence <laughs> So yeah, I was robbed of my moment of glory, or potentially ending up in a um, ambulance. But <laughs> yeah, that I, I that one I, I quite enjoyed. Also, in a vehicle of that size, you sort of feel quite safe. I don't know. Yeah, I know what you mean. You're strapped in, but there's no. You think the suspension is going to be way more absorbent? It's going to take mm -hmm. all the bumps out. It's these big, massive tires. It's going to be fun. It's yeah, you feel every bump. Like when you yeah. watch the guys doing the monster truck stuff that monster jam stuff it's you think it's just a bit of mucking around and how hard can it be they're yeah. so skilled and and you have a, a control you basically steer the rear wheels as well as steering the right so you've got a little toggle switch that, that changes the angle of the back wheels mm. and you've got a steering wheel well you'll know unless you've done it but for for all of our listeners that are listening mm. um it's it, there's the coordination it's like patting your head and rubbing your stomach at the same time it's it's really a really impressive coordination and it's quite a small arena with these massive things. There's a few of them around and just doing backflips and doing all these spins and stuff. It's, it's, you think it's just a bit of show and actually it's yeah. a highly skilled um, thing to be able to do. Skills that I had not acquired. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Talking of highly skilled, we, uh, the one that I like watching of your sporting highs is your, is your famous pass to Jermaine Defoe, which uh-huh. is... You must. Do you, do you replay that some days? I replay that in my head many, um, many, many days. Many it's per- days. it's it's literally perfect. I know so you're say, deprecating about it, but it is mm-hmm. it is perfect as a pass. And the reality is, it was just because I was exhausted and I'd been <laughs> running around like a headless chicken trying to mark Clarence Seedorf, and someone passed me the ball, and I looked up and I was just like, I can't run it anymore. So I like hit this pass, and it was like Beckham esque, just curled it. <laughs> Round and put it on a plate to Jermaine Defoe, who earlier in that game had also like stolen a goal off me because I'd um, hit a shot that was going into the bottom corner of the goal, and then he like flicked it in, and he was in an offside position, and this perfectly legitimate goal, which would have been like probably my you know crowning sporting moment to have scored at Soccer Aid at Old Trafford on my debut, um, was ripped away from me by Jermaine Defoe and then I go and give him like this perfect assist I mean I guess it's slightly different because it's probably not the highlight of Jermaine Defoe's career scoring <laughs> a goal against Paddy Guilty uh, in- <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah but that was a, that was a great moment that was uh, yeah it was a beautiful what, what's can you explain what it's like for soccer because it's obviously it's for charity it's a, it's a, a bit of fun but I think a lot of people do take it quite seriously and it is, as you say, for a lot of people it's it's their chance to live a, a dream to, to play on yeah. somewhere like Old Trafford with these you know, mm. iconic players. Um, it must be quite a thing to get that opportunity. It is and you do sort of get like, I don't know, carried away a bit. I mean, partly because there are some celebrities that are playing in that game that do think they are playing an England international for the first time. And I won't name names, but when you watch it, it's probably obvious who those people are. (laughs) But there are certain individuals that definitely um, take it far too seriously. And then you sort of like end up taking it a little bit too seriously as well and get caught up in the, you know, the sort of... uh, emotions of the occasion and yeah it's great i like i had such a um amazing time and i played in it a couple of couple of years back and uh i think i did two or three um and you yeah, you play i played against ronaldinho and sadorf and edgar davids and uh yeah all these amazing players and yeah it's um also you that you don't get a lot of that experience in the industry of that I'm in that sort of like dressing room thing and being part of a team and you know you get the big build up to it and the weeks training and there's a really nice like sense of camaraderie as well which I enjoy um and uh yeah then you go out and play at Old Trafford and it was like full when I when I did it which was insane like I don't remember feeling adrenaline like that even like doing what I do and going and doing shows and doing stand-up like i don't remember being as nervous ever doing a gig as i was when i was like wow. lining up to to play at old trafford for the first time um are you thinking don't mess this up like what's going that's what i would be thinking of yeah, be yeah yeah <laughs> basically and actually you know what jamie redknapp for all i slag him off uh he was amazing because he was just like look just like keep it simple i'm in the i'm going to be in midfield right next to you and if you get in trouble just pass it to me and so i basically like just kept it very simple and tried to like play you know, not too ambitious a 
you know, passes and 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 played a lot as close to him as possible. And he sort of led me through the game quite a lot. And uh, yeah, I had a I had a I had a yeah I had a blast of the time. It was amazing oh. how rude they were to the referee as well. Really, Jamie Carragher <laughs> absolutely just fucking laid into um, John <laughs> at Moss, charity event at charity event, and he was just like, he, he, and I was like, oh my. God. <laughs> Surely the microphone's going to pick that up. That's going to be a news story tomorrow morning. Because no one noticed. And you watch it back on TV and you can't see it. And you realise, like, when you're on the pitch, like, <laughs> like how much they can you can get away with swearing at the ref, basically, <laughs> because it's just not really picked up on camera. And, I mean, I know you see quite a lot of it in, in the Premier League, but, like, I was, like, being there, like, in the middle of the pitch and, and, and like, hearing it live, I was like, Wow. <laughs> How do the referees react in that? Because I know that in other sports like rugby, if you even hint any sort of um, abuse to the referee, you're going to yeah. get off the pitch. How, how do they respond in, in, in that situation? Uh, I mean, he, he just sort of didn't really engage with it. It was like he was, you know, so used to it. That he sort oh. of got with it. Um, it's like dealing with toddlers, really. You can't rise to it. You don't get yeah. in a bit with them when they're shouting and screaming. You got, I guess, you got to stay calm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, he was, he was or very send them to the room, calm you know? and collected. Yeah, and would send them to the room with a red card. I, uh, <laughs> but like, it's yeah. I mean, I was like, you know, running after John Moss and be like, I'm sorry. I'm sure he didn't mean it. Like, you know, <laughs> at the moment, and I think you're doing a great job. These are really nice guys. Who'd want to be a referee? And oh it's probably just a misunderstanding. He's a bit tired. He's a bit angry and emotional. And he said those things in the heat at the moment, but I'm sure he'll take them back after the game. Thank you. Very if you could have been an elite Last sportsman, week, yeah. if it would have been an elite sportsman, would it have been football? Would would a footballer be the one? Definitely. Yeah. Okay. But I just, yeah, I would just, I could never have been, obviously for quite a lot of reasons, an elite sportsman. But I do think my sort of attitude is part part of the problem. I mean, obviously, my physical restrictions and uh, lack of ability is also quite a key factor. But also, I think my kind of mindset doesn't work. I. The other one of my big sporting misfortunes was another charity game that I did, which was for for Fulham. And it was a Fulham, they do the Fulham charity game each year with sort of pros and celebrities. And they'd asked me to play in it a couple of times. And I played in it before at Craven Cottage, which is obviously like the most genteel uh, stadium in the country, the world. And especially on a charity day, it's just like, very very uh like nice atmosphere and friendly and you play in this game with a couple of the ex-bros and then have like cucumber sandwiches afterwards and, and it was all a very very pleasant affair and then the following year they were like oh well this year actually we were thinking of doing an away fixture because sheffield united have asked whether we could go up and play them so i was like oh yeah i guess that would be fun go and have an away day so we we did this thing where we all met at Craven Cottage and we got on a coach and we went up on the coach to Sheffield and then we played this game at Bramall Lane and it was against a load of ex-Sheffield United players and it was a pretty full crowd and it became very apparent that the sort of nature of the game and the attitude that people were going to be bringing into it was slightly different to the one that I played in before. And it was going to be a much more competitive game. Uh, people were going quite hard into tackles. And someone went in very hard to tackle on me relatively early on. 
And I sort of got upended and the whole crowd cheered. And at that point, every ex-Sheffield United player realized that the way that they could get the biggest cheer from the crowd was by kicking me. <laughs> but then for the next 20 minutes, it was like, it just, it was like the Hunger Games. Every time it would just like swarm onto me. And so I was just like desperately trying to avoid getting past the ball because I didn't want to get hurt. And it was like Michael Brown, like hurtling into two-footed tackles and like you know brian dean trying to lead with the elbow and and i was just like hunkering down and just like praying for it to to finish anyway second half we were like one nil up and uh it was uh the final like corner of the game and i was there at the back post and chris morgan the former sheffield united captain who's like six foot four brick shithouse like face like a bulldog's ass and he was <laughs> He came up to me at the corner and he's like, right, you need to you need to pull me down and they'll give a penalty and then I'll score and it'll be a draw and then we can have a penalty shootout. And I was like, well, uh, no. And he went, no, no, you need to do that because all these people have come to see us. They haven't come to see you. Come see Sheffield United and we can't end with you beating us. So when the, when the ball comes in, just give me a little push and I'll, I'll throw myself to the floor and we'll get a penalty. And I was like, um, okay. And, and I was like, fine, yeah, well, I don't want to ruin everyone's day. And I, you know, just was like sort of intimidated rabbit in the headlights. Ball comes in. I just give him a little shock. He throws himself down. Referee points in the penalty spot, at which point my whole team, like literally like velociraptors, like turn, like beading me out. Like, why the fuck did you do that? And I was like, well, because he told me to. What do you mean he told you? He told you to. That's no reason to. We were one up. It was the final minute of the game. I was like, yeah, but he said that I ruined everyone's day. They were honestly like apoplectic oh. rage. All of these ex-pros. I was like, it doesn't matter. It's fake. It's a, it's a charity game. I'm an actor. Like, Dean Gaffney's at right back. Like, this is the <laughs> Champions League final. It doesn't matter, guys. Okay? You're not playing professional football anymore. They score the penalty. They win the penalty shootout. I come back into the dressing room. No one will talk to me. Barry Hales. I remember Barry Hales. <laughs> like, he was... He just wouldn't look at me. I, I just had to sit there in the corner of the dressing room with everyone just like nattering away that I'd ruined it and that I'd, I'd given away this penalty because I'd been told to do it. And then the whole of the coach journey back again, just like sat there, ostracized from the group. I was like, this oh. is bullshit. Oh, wow. You, you didn't play again after that? Not play again. <laughs> I was not invited back, to be fair. <laughs> But there's, there's like that. I mean, that in general, I just find so annoying. Like, I find it annoying in charity games. I also find it annoying when you play football in any any walk of life now, five like aside, or like I, I play at the weekend, and you get someone that is just taking it too seriously and she, like ball, like walling everyone out, shouting at them. And, you know, like if, I've had it where you invite someone to come and play football and like, they're playing for the first time with a group of friends that they don't know and then all of a sudden they're like screw get back get back trap back trap back back door back door <laughs> that guy is in plimsolls it's like <laughs> wind your neck in <laughs> Greg McHugh was talking about how when he was playing he was 12 years old and he was a big lad when he was 12 and one of the dads of the other oh, yeah, team yeah. didn't believe that he was 12 and thought he was a ringer that he was like 13, 14, 15 and he spat on it like he's spatting a 12 year old kid in his face i think in his face like and you're like at what no. point do you lose sight of what you're doing or what your son's doing you're not even doing no. it yourself you're 
you're, you're trying to encourage your kids a, to, to learn some lessons from sport. They're probably not going to end up playing for Scotland or England or whoever. No. They're there to have fun, to make friends, to, to understand the benefits you get from sport. Imagine setting that as an example. I mean, I know you're saying yeah. you were going to be a competitive, or not competitive dad, but a, an active father on the, on the, the touchlines. But, my God, spitting on a On, on, a, on a lighter note, was that the same game that Greg told us that he went to, it was a, like a cup, final or semi-final for school like the highest thing all parents there and he goes oh, Jack I don't know if you know this story because obviously you know Greg well he goes to try and trap the ball and misjudges the bounce and it sort of bounces on the ground in front of him and then hits him very hard in the nether regions and it's not like like he is he's out like game game over like he, he he is done and has to come off the field he's got mates I don't know like 30 odd years later that still remind him and even even parents of mates that still remind him of this, of this biggest biggest shame of his life sport so anyway what have yeah. you got a, have you got a worse that, that competitive thing and being a dick on the touchline <clears throat> yeah being a dick to the referee or being a dick on the touchline is just yeah that that's I mean my dad was quite annoying on the touchline to be fair he used to get quite annoyed and he got banned at one point <laughs> We had this game against Monmouth, who were a Welsh boarding school, and they came down, and it was quite a like, like testy game, and lots of you know late tackles, and got a little bit sort of physical, but nothing that bad. And he was calling them cheats and stuff, and then, and then I remember a boy got a penalty, and he made a sheep noise, and then just like all hell broke loose on the touchline. <laughs> Later, the Welsh parents were like trying to strangle him and my mum had to restrain my dad and get him into the car and then he was told by the school that he maybe shouldn't come back to the next game he's given a touchline ban for <laughs> wow but you, you were saying i mean you said that you didn't think you had the right <clears throat> mentality or attributes to be a professional athlete but i i would disagree on many levels i think that to see you know you, you obviously play it down and you it seems from the outside that you you must work incredibly hard. You must be incredibly driven to get to where you are. Your career has is gone stratospheric in the last ten years. So many people are trying to, to crack America to you know British comedians and actors going across there, and you've succeeded in that. And also, you know, talking about being nervous walking out onto the pitch at Old Trafford. I came to watch you stand up in in Manchester. You know, a full arena tour. <coughs> Excuse me and. You know, you have the crowd in your hand, the crowd in, in the palm of your hand, in this massive place, and you know, the, the, I mean, I couldn't think of anything more stressful than walking. You know, you're not out there with a team of people, people around you. You're not in a race where there's other people racing. It's just you for 90 minutes or however long the show was, and to be able to deal with that pressure and to have the discipline to rehearse, to plan, to write, all that stuff. That, there's a lot of parallels there between sport and, and what you do. Yeah, I mean, I think, but weirdly, I find when I do stand-up is just i mean so so much control of that situation now and i've done it for so long i mean maybe back in the day i used to get quite nervous and scared and you know walking into a, a room and having to win over a crowd that don't know who you are and you maybe don't quite have the skill set yet developed to to be able to play any type of room but like once you've done it for a long enough time and people are coming to see you specifically it feels like a sort of you know, you've been set up to succeed. It feels like a, a comfortable environment to perform in. And, but I guess that's why I always find whenever I'm doing anything kind of like sporting really challenging is because it's just like so out of my comfort zone and I don't feel that same sense of control. And that's the thing that, that gives you the jitters is, is what, as, as soon as you, you're not convinced of what the outcome might be. And so 
uh, I find like being up on stage, I'm very comfortable in that in that situation now, just from from doing it for so long. But I, I, yeah, I find it <laughs> terrifying to walk out onto the pitch of a like football stadium because it's just like this is not my area. How, how was your last tour? And am I right in saying it goes out on Netflix end of this month or beginning of next? I can't quite. Yeah, remember. January the thirtieth. Yeah, on Netflix. Yeah, it was it was great. It was um. It was, it was, you know, it'd been four years since I'd done it, you know, last, and I'd had quite a, you know, significant break for me in terms of, you know, doing stand up and then started going back up at clubs and realized, oh, I'd, I'd really missed it. And before I knew it, I had an hour and then took it out on the road. And I was doing that tour for the best part of a year. And over the course of that year, you know, I moved in with my partner and we uh, had a, you know, a baby and like so much life happened over the course of that year and it meant that i was having to constantly sort of rewrite and tweak this this show which would had been about settling down and growing up and you know the changes that were happening in my life and then it kept it quite fresh which was nice often when you're doing a tour you get so bored of it <laughs> like six months in you're like if i have to say this joke again I'm <laughs> on, on this occasion it was quite good because i had little gaps and then came back to it and and then yeah, we recorded the the special at Wembley in the summer, and it was great. Um, and uh, that was just before uh, Elsie, um, my daughter, arrived. Uh, so yeah, it's been a it's been a, it was a pretty busy year last year. Uh, and uh, I am yeah, but very proud of the tour as well. I'm very proud of the the special. I think it's like a slightly different uh, tone almost to to some of the the shows that I've done before, and I talk a lot more. Uh, about my life and in in a in a more sort of personal way i feel like i it's a it's a bit more um to dig a little bit deeper than i maybe have before which i enjoyed the, the challenge of doing that and so yeah i hope people like it when it comes out because uh it's definitely you know something that i'm quite proud of it must be some great material though becoming a dad and all the <laughs> it unlocks a whole different level of life isn't it an experience that until you till you're in that position, you have no idea of what this world is like. You think you do from the outside. You got, you know, nephews or nieces, or you got friends with kids. But it's only when you become a, a parent yourself that you. It must it, it must be comedy gold for you. You know, loads yeah, of it's so good. And I've completely like exhausted all other avenues and mind <laughs> about my dad until the well had run very dry. So I needed a new angle to sort of aim my uh, my sights in and and. Uh, I think, uh, like having a having a kid and becoming a parent, and uh, you know all of that entails is is definitely great inspiration. And uh, she's already, unfortunately, become comedic fodder, even though she's <laughs> like four months old. Even know yet? Yeah. yeah. But it is quite funny no, being a parent. I mean, there are so many comedic moments in the early years, in particular, where you know just things go horribly wrong, just on a day to day basis. But yeah, yeah just have to carry around your notebook as well the minute they start talking it's just a fountain of comedic opportunity so yeah i uh it, it's uh definitely something that's crossed my mind <laughs> i try to be careful about it though because i'm like oh there's literally nothing sacred in my life and, uh, <laughs> for a brief moment i was like well maybe i won't talk about my daughter and then within three weeks i think i was doing gags and yeah, that's can't help myself. Uh, there was a slight change of topic here, but whenever I see you, Jack, I always think about 
and unfortunately we can't tell his story on the podcast. It's just not it's not suitable. But Jack told me a, a sporting misadventure story involving a snooker player. I can't say more than that, which was one of the funniest stories yeah. that I've ever heard. Which is like, you know, it's like the worst thing that you just sort of say, I've got a really funny thing, but I can't tell you, or I've heard it, you know. But yeah, every time I see that person and every time I see you, I always think about it. And then <laughs> I always think about it as well, to be fair. It's unbelievable. But yeah. I forget that it happened and then I'm like, oh my god, yeah. That <laughs> yeah, maybe if we do if we do like uh sporting misadventures after dark or yeah. uh, change <laughs> the change the names, we could do like a bit of bit of blue, bit of blue for the dance. But then um, yeah, it's it's deeply inappropriate. It's a remarkable it. story. A remarkable oh, yes. Yeah, it's it's oh. not it's not we can't even really give you a gist of it because it's I can't even hint at it. No, but it's a great story. So that's a that's a terrible thing to bring <laughs> into the podcast. I apologize. We can cut no, it's it. It's good to leave them wanting more to know that it's a guest. I might if we get a million it. subscribers we'll tell the story. Yeah. With bring a different it, name. Bring it more polite. Have we had your sport your all time sporting misadventure? I think we've had a few sort of mishaps, or is there is there one that trumps the lot that you've not not said so far? all-time sporting misadventure you must have had more than most people with having done that league yeah that's own, right. i mean it's, just in itself what about as a fan you're, you're a big arsenal fan aren't you yeah so you know it's, it's oh, oh okay years. well that, yeah i'll give you one for that this is brutal i got <laughs> booked to do the arsenal christmas party someone called me up and said do you want to go and do the arsenal christmas party and i deliberated a lot i was like yes i do but also these are my heroes and I don't want to necessarily go and tank in front of them. So it's quite high risk, but I guess I've got to do it because I want to hang out with all of the Arsenal team. So I go to the Hamyard Hotel, which is the location for it. I'd worked out like a really good sort of 20 minutes and I was like, I think this is kind of safe and has a little bit for everyone and tried to weave in a couple of jokes that, you know, would personalize it a bit more. I got there and they went, okay, here, come downstairs. And I walked downstairs uh, and they led me down to the uh, basement of the Hamyard Hotel. And in the basement of the Hamyard Hotel, there's a bowling alley and all of the players are there and they're putting on bowling shoes. And I looked around the room and I was like, so where's the stage set up? Where am I going to go on? And they went, oh, no, there is no stage. I was like, well, what, how do, what, do I, what do I do? Just take the mic and they're all going to sit down and I go in the corner or something? I was like, well, no, 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 we were thinking more because obviously they're here to bowl that maybe you could stand at the side of the lanes and you could just sort of sort of crack some gags as they're bowling. And I was like, <laughs> that's not a thing. Um, I was very much under the impression that I was doing a 20 minute set. And they're like, yeah, well, I don't think that's going to work. So if I just give you the microphone and you stand there, uh, they're going to bowl for an hour. And uh, yeah, just do your thing. So I was like, um, uh, right, okay, fine. I took the microphone and then I fucking stood at the side of this bowling alley as all of my heroes bowled and then sort of tried to do like funny commentary and crack a few gags about them. None of them had any idea that I was a comedian. None of them had any idea that I'd been booked to come there as a comedian. Most of them just thought that I was an overly zealous employee of the Hamyard Hotel that had got onto the mic and there wow. was now shit talking them all it was humiliating and awful a couple of the english guys knew i was and they were looking over at me sympathetically like you know all of the like french like Giroux, he looked at me like uh, it was that same like look that i was talking about earlier with the red hot chili peppers where he was just looking at me like who the hell is this piece of crap on the bottom of my shoe and uh and i did that and then afterwards i was like well at least that's the end of this horrible ignominy and because I'd done that, though, Mikel Arteta, who was the club captain at the time, obviously thought that I worked for the hotel. 
So then the next part of the party was that they were going to go through to another room and they were going to do karaoke. So he came over to me and he went, okay, right, we're going to do the karaoke now. And I was like, oh, good for you. He was like, no, no, can you come with me, please? Just stand stand here. Um, it, I'll give you some of the songs and can you put them into the machine? I was like, oh, no, no, I'm not, I'm not the karaoke guy. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm actually a comedian and I was booked to do some some comedy is like well we're not doing that we're doing karaoke now so if you stand there i will give you some names of songs that we want but we need enough spanish language songs as well for the for the spanish language players so could you could you make sure that you have a good mix I was like, i'm not fucking dj i'm not karaoke bitch okay <laughs> I played the o2 arena like a week ago and <laughs> typing gasolina into a karaoke machine and being like like talk to <laughs> i'm a fucking servant by Mikel arteta and i did it i did it i did it without protest i stood there for an, another hour just by being the fucking disc jockey as they well they didn't even sing karaoke because no one was really engaged in the karaoke oh, no. i was just like typing in songs and then i left and the worst thing about it when they'd come to me with the gig they said uh so the payment for this is you won't get paid but we can get you a box at the FA Cup final. So you can get a box with all of your friends to the FA Cup final. I was like, okay, fine, I'll do it for that. Following week, they lost in the semi-final. So <laughs> I had a box to the FA Cup final to watch two teams that I had zero in. <laughs> well, is that the worst thing you've been signed up to do? Or they, That's they, one of the worst they, gigs yeah, I've ever done, because... for sure. 100%. Should have said, don't meet your heroes. I do love those things when you go to, when they pick, they, they sort of sign up totally the wrong person from i went to some sort of motoring thing really serious people at top of motorsport i can't remember who was doing the stand-up but it couldn't have been a worse match which i genuinely thought it was one of the funniest things i'd ever seen because it had died so badly so i'm in pieces yeah. but i'm about, there's about two of us laughing in a room of about 1200 people and this this comedian is just going going with it full bore it throughout. makes it even funnier doesn't it yeah i had great respect for them as well just they just kept on going just immaterial yeah Got to hit the 30 minutes so you don't get there. <laughs> I think I've said it before in this podcast, Matt, but there was a the award, Laureus Awards ceremony in Berlin years ago, and they always get big names in to do, do the hosting. And they had Bill Murray. And I was so excited, you know, massive big Bill Murray fan. And he came on and it was off. Like literally there was no response in the crowd. He was hilarious. Um, he came on dressed as um, I forgot her name from The Sound of Music and he, each bit he was sort of dancing around and it was amazing and it was just zero response and my wife Sarah was there and we were just like we were both in absolute bits watching it and nobody got it and um, but yeah you think at least somebody would well, recognise Bill Bill Murray I mean God, Bill, anyway. Bill Murray can die then anyone can <laughs> yeah have you had howlers in the past I guess you don't anymore but you must have had it in the uh, early, yeah, earlier have, day. Yeah. yeah I've had so many howlers Oof. what's the Jerry Seinfeld thing that he says you learn more from the gigs that you die at than the ones that you kill so I do think it's quite helpful to have a few of them and to have experienced it and the more that you have and the more you become resilient enough to be able to just wash it off you then the stronger you, you become and it's a great moment where you realise oh actually I think I'm relatively impenetrable now to having a, t a terrible gig I mean it obviously hurts but it's not going to make me quit this and you know, what was it like Starting, not starting again, but trying to, you know, going across to America, going on to the chat shows, high profile stuff where people don't necessarily know who you are. So you're not starting from scratch because you already have this momentum from over in the UK and Europe, but it's a completely different audience. How, how was that? Are you, were you able yeah, to do that well? Was you nervous? You weren't, it was, it was okay? 
in clubs as well sometimes over there you get a thing where if you go onto a bill and I because I would just like pop up at random clubs when I was doing it in America and every now and again you'd go and you I, I didn't know enough necessarily about the American circuit so you'd have a headliner who had a quite big following and depending on who, who their following was it would either be a relatively good match for you or a terrible match so there's a you know a couple of times where I'd turn up and it'd be fine there's other times where you'd have someone that would be like just had an audience that were expecting this guy and and he had like he did really really fucking offensive dirty, blue jokes and they that's what they came for it was like a baying mob of people that wanted like the most like horrendous like gruesome sex jokes in the world i had no idea of that obviously so mm -hmm. i had to go on after him as well which was a real dick move like oh, no. If you're going to be the headliner and you're going to bring your crowd, you should go on last. He went on, did like 45 minutes. Every single story was about eating ass or like fucking getting knocked out during sex or like it was just like it was just grim. And he did 40 minutes and they loved it. And then I came on and did a load of like twee jokes about being an Englishman abroad and I fucking died. <laughs> okay, I'll be a little bit more careful about the um, research I do into who the fellow people are on the bill when I come and do stand up here. And what have you got next? Are you, are you filming, doing movies, TV, or having um, a bit of a breather now after this? Yeah, doing a bit of, I'm doing, about to do a, a big drama for Amazon, which starts in February, and I'll be filming that for the first sort of five months of the year so you'll have to say what that is or are they top secret at this stage is there well probably by the wait when does it come out uh it'll be february yeah february i think yeah, pretty soon yeah. probably it'll be out by then it's called malice okay it's gonna be a yeah a thriller on, on uh on amazon so a different challenge and, and an exciting one and and uh playing a very different type of part to anything i've done before so oh, wow. uh, i'm gonna do that that's the next thing yeah exciting exciting yeah. well listen we really appreciate your time it's great to chat to you jack thank you so much you. it's uh yeah hope to catch up in real in the real world sometime soon yeah, yeah. but um until then hope you get some sleep and thanks man but elsie keeps uh yeah gets a bit more sleep herself and uh, yeah yeah all awesome. the best great to right. chat to you so much, much. Bye, bye bye Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.